The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There's so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. So if you've ever thought to yourself, there's got to be more than this, well, you are in the right place. Welcome to The More of God, a safe place to explore the more. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. I have Carissa Downs. And Carissa and I met, I was actually part of a Facebook group, I guess it was. You were working for a company called The Crowning Jewels. Shout out to The Crowning Jewels, uh, which is a uh, really cool jewelry company, specifically giving just life-giving and encouraging words to kind of wear, which I loved. So we got to know each other a little bit through that. And then became Facebook friends, and I got to see some of your writing, your awesome writer and speaker. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, April. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. We were talking one day on Facebook, and I asked you if you could preach just one sermon for the rest of your life, what topic would you talk on? And you said? I said, abiding in Jesus. And that is one of my favorite topics. So I said, I have to have her on. So I love that you're talking about that. And one of the things we noticed when we got on the video today is that I I was wearing a necklace that I had gotten actually from the company you worked for. And it says abide on it. So full circle, right? Full circle. Full circle. Yeah. (laughs) So I love to start kind of just giving people a background of how you came to know God. So can you explain a little bit of your testimony? Yes, absolutely. My mother began bringing me to church when I was about three years old. I grew up with both my mom and my dad in the home. My dad was not a believer and still claims to not be a believer, but my mother was a believer and had been out of church for a really long time with my dad. And when I was about three years old, she decided that she wanted me to have the raising in church that she had had. So she brought me to a local church that was new to her as well, which I think is an incredible step. Um, especially when you're coming in as a mother by yourself. But she brought me to that church. And I used to think that my raising in the Lord was kind of typical. But now I look back on it and I I think it it was very atypical because the church that she brought me to was experiencing revival. Mm -hmm. And um, it was experiencing revival in the children's ministry (laughs) and in the youth ministry. So, of course, neither of us knew what we were getting into. Of course, I didn't when I was in my first memories of church about five years old. But because I was raised in what some may define as like the unusual expressions of the Holy Spirit, they never felt unusual to me. And I grew up knowing him. And I think a way that is is rare and unique, even though it wasn't unique, uh, didn't seem unique to me. So that's how I I was introduced to him. So let me me stop you there and just um, ask you to define something. When you say you were at a church with revival, for somebody who maybe doesn't know what that means, what, what do you mean by that? What did you see that makes you call it that? Well, you know... The fact that that I even realized that we were in, quote, revival was something I didn't even fully realize, I think, until just a few weeks ago. I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was talking about um, her experience of children's ministry and her experience of church growing up and how she felt like just these areas of the church needed a great reform. And I was saying, 
you know, that's so strange. My experience of church and my experience of church, even as a child, was marked by these things. And I listed off some things and she was like, that's insane. I've (laughs) never even heard of a church that was experiencing that stuff, especially among the children. Like, tell me more. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't realize that this was so rare. So when I say that, what I mean is, the staff in our children's ministry would pray for us on almost a weekly basis to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It was the companion to salvation. As soon as you come into the kingdom, we're going to pray for you to receive this additional infilling. And we would break into these prayer groups as children (laughs) with these staff members. And I remember, I can't even remember how old I was when I began weeping under the power of God and in the presence of God and our worship times and our altar times. We had our own altar times as children. And when I say that, I mean, they would call us up out of our seats to come seek the Lord Mm. individually. and, And they would lay our hands on us and pray for us. And I remember, you know, kids would come and receive prayer because, you know, their dog had died or, or whatever. And they would end up just receiving some really impactful, genuine touches from the Lord and myself included. And and I was saying that the first prophetic word I remember receiving, you know, as it was as a really young child uh, from a children's church staff member who gave me a really individualized, you know, encouraging word from the Lord. And we didn't call it the prophetic. I didn't, she didn't stop and tell me like, this is a prophetic word, but I remember being able to feel the difference on it, feel the weightiness, the presence of the Lord, the way it called out my identity um, as an individual and thinking that's different. That wasn't just a compliment. There was something on that, as they say, and um, the staff were just, yeah, just operating in the stuff and um, not a ton of, of supernatural healing at that time in my life. But definitely deep encounters with the Lord were taught about and encouraged and um, tongues and interpretation and dreams and visions. I remember when I began to have dreams and visions from the Lord at a really young age, the staff at my church were immediately equipped and ready to both interpret and equip me to interpret. Wow. And yeah. And just, and say like, oh, those things are normal for you. Those things are part of the normal Christian life. Expect those, cultivate those, write them down, ask the Lord, you hear from God. I spent some time at Bethel and Reading and they used to say, there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is no version. You know, the children, when you're a child, you know, I think you're in such a, such a unique place to be positioned in faith and receive from the Lord. And, and the staff at the church I grew up with understood that. And I think that was really rare. So very rare. The Lord. Yeah. <laughs> very. It wasn't, yeah. It wasn't so much in my home. I mean, my mom, my, like my dad wasn't a believer and my mom was discovering this stuff alongside me, but it was, was definitely active in my church. And I'm grateful for that. Do you remember hearing the voice of God yourself as a kid, or at least feeling that he was saying something to you in some way? Yeah, absolutely. I I had my first dream, you know, like a nighttime dream from the Lord that I can remember when I was probably about six or seven years old. Mm -hmm. And I had not, in my memory, I hadn't been asking the Lord for that. But to this day, and that, that dream, and when I say there's no junior Holy Spirit, that dream would have rocked me as an adult if I had had that dream right now. He didn't speak to me as a child. 
he he spoke to me in imagery, but it was it was transcendent. It was imagery I could fully understand then and now. And I was only six or seven. And I remember I was on a camping trip with one of my best friends and her grandparents. So my parents weren't around, you know, no church people were around, but I woke up and I told my friend's grandma, I said, I, I had this dream last night and she was making like biscuits <laughs> in the camper. And she just looked at me and said, well, that's, that was a good dream. And I was just like, yeah, it was, but I took it home with me, never forgot it, wrote it down. And uh, it was a promise from the Lord that has lasted my whole life, encouraged Mm. me my whole entire life. And that was the beginning, you know, maybe the first time I remember him speaking to me as an individual, you know, speaking to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and that set me up for really what has been a lifetime hearing the Lord's voice. That's awesome. All right, so we'll get to the topic at hand, abiding. Um, I I looked up the word in Strong's Concordance, and I I know what the word means to me. In Strong's, it says to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. And I'd never heard that before. I thought that was pretty cool. But as for you, like if you were just going to define this, not in a theological book, but to somebody listening, how would you define abiding? Well, I looked it up too. <laughs> this morning I was looking at <laughs> the lexicon, you know, um, yeah. the Hebrew and the Greek. And I thought like, this is what it means to just to stay. Mm. I, I don't want to make it more complicated than it is yeah. just to stay, just to remain, which both happens naturally and unnaturally. <laughs> they, they're both true. But as I've been meditating on this for, you know, a lot longer than just recently, you know, what does it mean to abide in the Lord? Because Jesus makes all of these promises. If you abide, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest ones he says is if you abide in me, ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that described, you know, as like, is this really a blank check? Mm-hmm. You know, is this really, you know, but that's what he said. Yeah. So it's, it's of great importance and great interest, not only for that reason, but for so many others to find out what he means when mm-hmm. he said, abide in me. He said, you know, as the father has loved me, I have loved you abide in that love. Mm-hmm. And that's probably my favorite verse <laughs> in all of the Bible. And it's one that I, I try to wrap my head around, but I think to myself, how does the father love Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. A complete unbroken, absolutely no dysfunction, mm-hmm. a, a perfect union and communion and friendship and oneness. They're not separate. Mm-hmm. There is a complete, it, like a love that I, I can't understand or fathom. That's how Jesus loves me. Mm-hmm. And he just tells me to stay in it, mm-hmm. stay in it. And if you can just manage to stay in this, <laughs> you know, this is the place where all things are possible. Yeah. It really is the answer to everything. And I think that's why I, you know, Nobody had ever asked me that before. The question you asked me, if you could only preach on one thing, what would it be? Nobody (laughs) asked me that. And I've never talked about this, actually. When I've gotten the opportunity to speak, I don't think I've ever talked about this yet. Mm -hmm. But the reason I think it would be my message for my life is because I believe it is the ultimate message, the answer, the source. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I 100% agree. And I think that's also why the enemy tries to get us everywhere, but there to hinder us from that. He knows, he knows it's the source too. So what, what are the hindrances that kind of happen that you've experienced as you've learned how to do this? Like, what are things that have kind of tried to, to get in the way of that? And how have you overcome those things? Yeah. Well, if there's anybody listening to this podcast who has ever tried to pray, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah, just tried to sit down in a quiet room, especially in, I don't think we realize even how different we as human beings are from the, from the generation and generation ago. You know, I heard this past week that the human attention span has officially decreased to smaller than that of a goldfish. (laughs) Can you believe that? But I actually can believe Yes, I can. Because I can see it in myself. Yes. You know, I can sense the itching. Yes. That wasn't there when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I know that my attention span was longer than it is now Mm -hmm. because of the you know, we always talk about it, but the scroll thing, the gratification, the dopamine release that we get, it's a new world. So that said to anybody who has ever sat down and tried to pray, especially (laughs) now, I think we have a more difficult time maybe than any other generation that's ever been on the earth sitting down with the itching Mm -hmm. going on. And for one thing, just trying not to scratch it. Yes. That's that's one of the biggest challenges is just sit down and be still for a minute. You know, that's entry point level one, <laughs> down and be still. And one of the biggest obstacles. Yeah. And, you know, I think the Lord sees that and has so much compassion for us. Mm. You know, he's, he, I used to think that I would have to jump through a lot of hoops to meet and encounter with the Lord. Yeah. Um, but what I found and what others I've spoken to have found, it's not just me. You know what it's like when you when you finally just choose to sit down and be still, how it's just a snap of the fingers and you can sense him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's present, he's near. And it's it has it's not always a hundred percent that way, but more often than not, his presence is so quick to let itself be known. Yeah. He's so generous. But anyway, that's that's an obstacle, is just sitting down and being still. Another obstacle I think is a lack of honesty. And I think that's kind of hard to say, but I think in order to to have this communion with the Lord that we want, we have to become uncomfortably honest with ourselves mm. and then uncomfortably honest with him. And he's he's very helpful with that. You know, if if we're having a hard time admitting what's going on inside of us, it's going to be a huge inhibition between communion and conversation, yeah. just like between humans. I remember having having a friendship with someone who was quite a bit younger than me a couple of years ago, and and this person just had had never really fully been introduced to self awareness. Mm-hmm. So this person would get into like a funny mood and have no idea where it had come from, <laughs> and we would we would just backtrack with each other, just take several steps back and realize that person was actually feeling jealous, but didn't know, um... and was having a hard time relating to anybody um, because they had no idea why they were feeling jealous or they had no idea why they were feeling forgotten or they had no idea even that they were feeling forgotten. Mm. And so I think with our communion with the Lord, sometimes we have, I I call it like a nakedness. Mm. Um, There's a certain nakedness that comes with saying, 
this is exactly who I am. This mm-hmm. is exactly what I feel right now. I feel terribly ugly. I would rather numb this out. Yes. But I'm going to choose connection with you. Yes. I good. think that's one of the, you know, like gate level two, maybe. <laughs> one um, of the, um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Absolutely. I, I was just, I was thinking you, you wrote a book called softer God. It's some poems that you wrote about God. And one of them just sticks out when I'm thinking about this, because you said it was the ice cream parable, but you were talking about how you had misconceptions of who God was. And, um, can you explain a little for people that story of, of how he revealed to you who he really was? Cause I think those misconceptions I know are what kept me from him. I was, I was scared, you know, of what he might do in that situation. Absolutely. Well, you know, like I mentioned, I was raised in the church. I was raised in an incredible church, but nonetheless grew up with a lot of deeply entrenched ideas that had come from a couple of different places that um, mostly that God was very volatile, that he was kind of unpredictable, a little bit of a minefield. (laughs) If you stepped on the wrong spot or pulled the wrong trigger, the wrong lever, that it would be like one of those cartoons where the character just plunges into the depths of the earth. And I think some of that is, is being, you know, I remember being about maybe four or five years old and my mom reading the flood story to me for the first time. Mm. And at a really young age, I grasped the idea of, a, of like a murderous God who, you know, the, the God who destroyed the earth. And I was terrified of storms from like that time on, just like, what if, you know, what if he's in a bad mood and he drowns all of us? (laughs) And then shortly after that, I was introduced to the left behind books, (laughs) you know, I think that those have had some like ministry value and definitely nothing against the left behind books. But as a child, I remember being terrified of the concept of being left behind, being abandoned by God, which is another, you know, issue with, is he, can I, can I even predict what he's going to do? Is he volatile? Is he scary? Is he mean? Um, Is he forgetful? Is he uh, someone who will abandon me? So, I mean, I remember being on a, on a youth trip and losing, taking a nap and, and my group had gone out without me. And not being able to find anyone when I woke up. Oh no! And, <laughs> and this was so you left behind. Yes, I can't tell you how many times, April, I I found myself alone oh. and, and thought as a child that I had been left behind. Oh, God, man. there was something wrong with me. And you know, when you're when you're raised a Christian, you know that you can't ever blame God. You can't accuse right. Him tell him he's mean but really that's what you think mm-hmm. but you internalize it instead as well you must be perfect but maybe there's something wrong with me right maybe there's something that that you actually secretly hate or can't accept because of your holiness and um you know maybe maybe I'm going to be left behind maybe you don't love me maybe this love is conditional so that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about that took a lot of undoing and a lot of daring to find him on my own Hmm. and believe what he said to me, to believe it when he told me that he wasn't going to leave me. Yeah. That's a lot of courage and vulnerability. So that's, that's another gate. Yeah. In, in fighting in the Lord. 
And I love how that poem ended, that you woke up from that nightmare and then there was real Jesus with you and he takes your head and he puts it on his chest and he rubs your hair. And I love that picture. Yeah. Such a good picture. That's abiding, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, it's the knowing that he's abiding with you, that mm-hmm. he He came to you first and promised to stay. Yeah. And uh, everything we do is a response, is yeah. a knowing and an understanding and an accepting of this commitment promise that he's already given to us. And I think we're trying so hard sometimes to rush that process, but I found God is not in a rush. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Isn't that wild? How long he lets us go? (laughs) He loves the journey with us, right? He loves to reveal himself as we're ready. And and sometimes it takes a lot longer than we necessarily would choose, but it's always perfect somehow. I know. Yeah. It's, and I, I wrote about that in my book too, how like looking back over my life, I can see all these times I was wrong about stuff. Yeah. Just deeply wrong. And I would just, I would fight for stuff, yeah. you know, and just convince people and take <laughs> people with me. And God was abiding with me that whole time, yeah. never telling me. <laughs> you're so wrong, honey. Like you're so wrong. It's just watching you like, oh, Carissa, there's my girl (laughs) being so wrong. (laughs) I know. uh, You know, he would tell me eventually, but when he finally would, I would be like, what? It's been Uh, five years. Yeah. And I see that, you know, that has deeply affected my relationship with other people as well, though. Yes. You know, I I am no longer quick to correct. Yes. I am no longer quick to try so to good. Yes. planks out of other people's eyes now because I see how the Lord has walked with me yeah. and he, his patience is on, is completely different. It's another thing. So yeah, you're right. He takes <laughs> process. He's so, <laughs> so if there's somebody listening and they don't feel like they've ever felt that connection with him, maybe they feel mm-hmm. like they go to church, they read their Bible, they pray their prayers to ask for the things they, they feel like God would have them to ask. They really don't feel that heart connection. And as we're talking, they're like, man, that would be so nice to have that kind of connection with God. What are some tips maybe that you could give of where to start? Yeah. One of my favorite quotes right now is by Pastor Bill Johnson. And he says, your faith will only explore where you have a revelation of the goodness of God. Mm. So, you know, to, to say that another way, you're only going to look for something that you believe is good. You're only going to start exploring there when you, when you have a belief that you're going to find something positive, that you're going to find something good and rewarding. Yeah. Um, We don't want to go somewhere that we believe is ultimately going to be punishing, neglectful, empty. So, that was the beginning point for me was what I believe. So I would tell, I would say to somebody, sit down and get really, really honest with yourself about what you believe about God. Mm. And then sit down and get really, really honest with yourself about what you believe about you. And, and then when you've, when you've got that out and when you can see it, you know, just in, in honesty, you know, like I said, Gate two, honesty, <laughs> right after the stillness, yeah. <laughs> you know, just admit like, God, I, I think you're mean. Um, this is what I believed about you. And it's not an accusation. It's an uncovering. Yes. So good. And, 
Preach it, girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the difference between two heart postures. Can, can somebody accuse God? Absolutely. But you're not, you're just trying to be honest with him for once mm. and just saying, this is what I believe about you, or this is what I believe about me. That's keeping me from me. This is shame. Mm-hmm. And, and only then I think can, can you, can you really see him come close to you in that place of vulnerability and honesty and let him reveal himself as the truth. You know, he is the truth and he's going to tell you the truth. And the truth is always, always, always going to be good. Yes. And I think we don't believe that, you know, I think we're so scared of him in his truthness because we we're really afraid that truth is going to be cruel. Mm. but he is both truth and he is both love and Mm. love is always kind. It's always patient. So that's what I would say is, is look at your beliefs. If there's, if there's a block, if there's a wall, if you feel like you've tried and just feel like you're not getting through or like you can't hear him, what do you believe about him? Mm. Um, And I would just love to sit down with that person and go through it with them. (laughs) So her phone number is. Yeah. And I was about to say, like, honestly, if you're hearing this, like message me, like I I would love to help with this because I'm just passionate about seeing people getting connected to God and connected to their hearts. But Mm. yeah, look at your beliefs first. Yeah. You reminded me of a story um, and just the way that you just shared what you shared. But um, I was at this church conference once and they had like the adults in one room learning about the prophetic and they had kids in a, a different building, but they weren't just doing childcare. They were teaching the kids about hearing God's voice and seeing what he was doing in the spiritual realm. And so they came and they, they brought, you know, a couple of the kids to share their testimonies. And this boy was like four, like five or six years old, super young. But like you said, even you back then, you didn't have inhibitions. So you just heard, you saw, you didn't, you know, limit yourself like we do as adults, but, but they asked the kid like, well, what do you see? And he said, I see angels everywhere. And they said, really? And he said, yeah, the biggest ones are right outside the kid's room. And I just loved that. And then he says, well, what are the angels doing? And the boy says, I see them going up to everyone's hearts and they're looking inside to see if there's fire there. And if there's not, and that's when he paused for a minute and my adult brain revealed what I was believing about God. My adult brain finished the sentence. If there's not, then he'll move on to the next person. But then the boy says, if there's not, they take this little ball of fire and he put it in their hearts. And I was like, wow, this five-year-old kid knows God better than I do. That that is the heart of God, that we don't go and beg God, you know, please, or we don't show up and we're half-hearted and he's like, get away. I don't want to even see you. We come and we show up and we're like, I'm a mess. And he's like, here's a ball of fire for your heart. Like, I love that. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. I mean, that's <laughs> fun to stick with me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It reminds me of something. I mean, I don't know if anybody listens to Misty Edwards, but yes, Edwards was huge for me when I was young. And, and she used to say, it takes God to love God. Yes. God always the initiate. And it's like C.S. Lewis, you know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, when when he said, you wouldn't have even called to me if I hadn't been calling to you. Yep. You know, and I think we get that backwards sometimes, like we're the pursuer. 
Yes. And like we have to respond correctly and have to really micromanage ourselves to make sure that we're positioned for love. Yes. And and he's like, oh my goodness, I've been calling to you for so long. And it's like Jesus said to Israel, you know, I've held out my hands all day long. I would love to gather you as a mother gathers her chicks, you know, he just wants closeness and we make it so complicated. Like we're just not capable. And he's like, just turn, just believe, just know about me, turn and look at me. I'm looking at you. I'm calling to you. It's just, yes. He's the, he's the one who puts the fire (laughs) there. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. I just want to talk to you for like another two hours about this, but, uh, (laughs) I have to close the podcast at some point, but I would love for you to pray for the listeners for that. Like I said, before we started, I really feel like every time I talk to you, I just want to go in my little secret place with Jesus and curl up with him and just let him love me. So I'd love for you to pray for that for the listeners as well. Oh, wow. I would love to. Yeah. Let's pray. Sweet Jesus. You are so kind. Father, come and remove any blocks, any walls, any places where because of shame, we've covered ourselves and said, we'd rather you not know us here. Mm. Lord, we're inviting you to come, know us, know us deeply, know us intimately, and help us truly God, in this world that we're living in right now, where we've been conditioned to move so fast and to itch for things, truly help us to sit with you in stillness, to let you look us over, empower us and give us the grace to linger with you and put in the time that it takes to know you and hear you. And great truth teller, Come and tell us the kind, generous, beautiful truths about who we are and about who you are and take us deeper into love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the More of God podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit and the way he's working in our world today, I'd love for you to check out my website. It's www.themoreofgod.org. And if you've got a great story about the Holy Spirit and how he's worked in your life, I would love to hear it. Please go to the website contact form and drop me a little bit about what's happened in your life. And I'd love to feature you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Thanks so much.